Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Yep, it's our special Sunday Mailbag Edition. Just a quick insight too. This is a Monday we're recording this on a full week ahead because we are already in the Christmas spirit or at least uh, the Christmas grind of making sure we have some podcasts for you when it comes to Christmas time. When I say we, of course, I'm talking about myself. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer here in Australia and far more importantly, the straw man, Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? More importantly, I like it. Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? Well, I figure, you know, I, I, I've got, you, know you make me look good is all I'm saying. So, you know, if you want to hear, I'd, no, I'm kidding. But you are remarkably important for this podcast, mostly because I did one. I did a solo podcast once when someone was away. I think it might have been Doc, and uh, I got a message saying, "Hey Scott, thanks for the podcast. Maybe next time if no one else is available, just skip a week." (laughs) (laughs) Which I figure was a uh, a kind way of saying, "Mate, you suck by yourself." So that's why you are so important, mate. If you're not here, I'm not sure if we have a podcast. If we do, I'm not sure anyone's listening. So let's um, let's let's just. I've got to big you up, mate. I got to I got to appreciate you because you're an important man. You are, of course, the managing director and the founder of Strawman.com, which I'm reliably informed is um, a, th- a thing. Um, um, what do you call it again? It's an online investment club, as you well That's know. That's right. Yep. A private online investment club, I think. That's I correct. <laughs> <laughs> mate, but I've got to correct you. You've got to work on your marketing. Get, that, get those marketing minions doing their job, mate. The dozens out the back in the office who are uh, grinding away to sell your, sell your business. You've got to, got to get them working harder, I reckon. <laughs> Uh, we're not big on marketing, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> nice. You don't need to be. People just knock on your door, mate. Why well, waste money if people are desperate to get in? Look, it's it's the Groucho Marx thing, you know. We wouldn't want someone who, like, you don't want to be a member of a club that would have you kind of thing. So if, <laughs> if you're not super keen, then it's just probably not a good fit. So oh, that, I, That's a good excuse. I reckon Groucho has knocked back. He's gone, oh, bugger, well, I wouldn't, didn't want to be there anyway. Exactly. That's yeah, how, he's, yeah, how he's done yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, uh, mate, should we ask some questions? Let's do it, yeah. Actually, more importantly, we'll answer some questions, but I will ask on behalf of our listeners. First one's from Shane, mate. Hi, Scott and Andrew. I've been meaning to let you guys know what an amazing job you do for quite some time. There you go. So thanks for the podcast, Motley for Money and The Good Oil. Oh, thanks for mentioning The Good Oil, Shane. I didn't even place that one, but The Good Oil with Scott Phillips at our other podcast, so check that. I've got some, can I say, mate, just in terms of like pre-Christmas, I have lined up a spectacular slate of people for the next couple of months cool. with interviews, so just, just stand by for that. And the ocean of financial education, says Shane, information, laughs, and common sense you guys provide. Do you reckon it's in that order? Education, information, laughs, and com- maybe that is in order. Thanks also for the book recommendations, he says. I've been getting through them and feel my financial education has skyrocketed. One up on Wall Street, wow. If this was the only investment book I ever read, it would likely be enough. It's a good one. Also, also I think Andrew has mentioned this one, Your Money or Your Life. I'm now the guy that annoys all my family and friends by insisting they read this. <laughs> my wife, who has no interest in finance, is currently devouring it. That's a good start. Great. I also should mention I'm a member of Extreme Opportunities, Share Advisor and Dividend Investor. They're three monthly full services. I find all services great value. I'm also interested, uh, always interested and intrigued by the companies that are common to more than one of these services or the rationale behind one service selling a company that another service continues to hold. I found that understanding the different treatment of companies by different services is beneficial due to the wealth of information provided and the views from different angles. I've also dabbled in straw man. Not a member Yet, he says. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> Fix that. Shane, will you? It's got, you got to keep Andrew around, mate. I've just, I've just told you why. Join up. <laughs> My question is, am I nuts owning all three services? It seems like Share Advisor is a mix of dividend investor and extreme opportunities. I know you are likely to be biased here, Scott. No. But what would be the pros and cons of having SA as my only service? 
compared to holding DI and EO. I really like the excitement of extreme opportunities and the potential for multi-baggers. And I also like knowing I have some dull but stable income producing stocks from DI. However, Share Advisor could feasibly do the job of both these services as it seems to capture the income producers and the growth opportunities. Perhaps you could also discuss the merits or not of a diverse portfolio of income producing growth and potential multi-baggers as part of a diverse portfolio of companies. Thanks for doing a great job and full on from Shane. I love that, mate. I'm going to do the first bit. I'll get you to do the second bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Shane, here's the thing. SA is... So if you have a continuum from growth to income, SA sits, you're right, in the middle. And it is a mix to some degree, but it's kind of the mix of the middle of those. So it's probably the growth your income stocks and the more conservative of the growth stocks, if that makes sense. So if you draw your continuum, there's overlap for sure. But if you go from zero to 100, then maybe EO goes from zero to 33 and... And, uh, and DI goes from 75 to 100, we probably cover, you know, 20 to 80. So Share Advisor has a bigger, broader remit. Um, we don't do, the, we're not as growthy as extreme opportunities at all, nor do we need income. And we don't have that requirement for a relative, we don't, there's no hard minimum for dividend investor, by the way, but we just, we don't need it or we don't necessarily look for it. So it's kind of one of those things where the average income in dividend investor is higher. The average growth potential in EO is higher. <laughs> Your advisor kind of sits in the middle, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you could replace SA by buying the other two. Nor, nor would I say if you bought the other two or not. SA, so I bought SA only. You get all the best from both those other services. So that's kind of, it, it's not, a, it's not a straight line. These things are never straight lines. There is no growth value divide that people like to pretend. Um, but if it is a continuum, we are literally smack dab in the middle at Share Advisor, and the other guys go further in either direction. Uh, so that's probably your answer, Shane. If you want more multi-baggers, then you're going to get more potential multi-baggers at Extreme Opportunities than at Share Advisor. Now, you might say, well, why would I get Share Advisor then? The answer is you're probably going to have more flame-outs at EO. That's because that's exactly how they try and run the service. They deliberately are looking for you know, big growth opportunities prepared to take a whole lot of losses to get you know, a handful of really, really, really fantastic companies. We're not as risk-seeking at Share Advisor. So you know, the reason to hold EO would be more you know, big multi-baggers if that's what you're looking for. If you want more of those to choose from, you're not going to get them at share advisor. Equally, at dividend investor, you're not getting as much income from, from SA as you would from DI. So um, that's, that's it's a bit of inside baseball. And, uh, you know, we're talking about it because you asked and other, other people have been interested in the past, by the way. So we do talk about our services occasionally. We try not to make it too marketing or sales. I'm just telling you what, what you get. So, mate, if you like all three, great. If you like two out of those three, great. If you just want to buy one, that's cool too. And, of course, if you are going to buy one, of course, you'd buy share advisor. Sorry, Kevin and Ed, if you're listening. Uh, all right, Andrew. The question from Shane, then let's go. Perhaps you could also discuss the merits of a diverse portfolio of income producing, growth, and potentially potential multi-bagger stocks as part of a diverse portfolio of companies. So I guess Shane's talking about kind of splitting his portfolio up, segmenting it mentally into I, we, the cool kids in finance special call them sleeves. That's the new way to describe these things. Um, a sleeve of growth stocks and a sleeve of income stocks and a sleeve of multi-baggers. Is that the way to approach building a diverse portfolio, do you reckon? Uh, there's no... <clears throat> No, not necessarily. Um, I think that the more important thing is is going before you even think about that is asking what are your goals here? What what, what are you trying to do? Um, and that's particularly important when it comes to income, right? So if mm, mm. you're seventy three and income is very important for you as opposed to capital gains, <laughs> you're going to swing it that way, right? If you're twenty three right, right. and you don't really need the income and you're you're after much much bigger long term capital gains, the growth growth is the way to go. So. So it de- it yeah. depends on it depends on your goals and what you're trying to achieve. But if if you're mm-hmm. happy to have a mix of all, then that's okay too. 
mm-hmm. but <clears throat> I would say that the you've just got to be very you've got to have a lot of, lot of clarity on the investment thesis and style that you're prosecuting with each particular right. investment because it's easy for things to sort of overlap mentally for you. Yeah. You know, so the, we, we've talked about this uh, certainly off air, but probably on air mm. too at, at a point, is <laughs> is that the, the, this thing called the share market, there's a thousand different ways to skin this cat and 999 of them probably are not going to be um, suitable to any one person. We all have our particular quirks and styles and biases and, and the rest of it. So it's know thyself is probably one of the most important mantras yep. Yep. <laughs> when it when it comes to investing. So you might be someone who is happy to buy a pretty ordinary company, but she's dirt cheap. You're a deep value mm-hmm. kind of person. Well, that's great. But it means that <clears throat> once that has been realized, once the market has corrected that deep discount, you'd probably sell it, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not this high quality uh, compounder that's going to, you know, just decade after decade, just go on making, making great returns. You, you've realized the investment thesis, you sell out. But that's exactly the wrong way to play it for, for the other style. So, <laughs> so you, you've just got to be consistent, I think, um, it, at least on an individual basis if you are going to mix it up a little bit because yeah. it, it just, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Um, and, and also I think all, with income versus growth, I mean, with, you've got to, your yardstick here is one of total return. So what is your total return with all the dividends and all the growth? Mm-hmm. And what I think a lot of income-focused people um, miss is that sometimes it's better to forego the income if you get a better total return. Right. Um, yes, it's not as consistent. You don't get the franking credits. But if the total return is higher, that after-tax mm-hmm. total return is higher, mm-hmm. potentially, then that's that's probably one to focus on. Um so yeah, look, there's there's not too many just outright wrong answers when it comes to investing. As long as you've got a lot of clarity on what it is you're doing, what you're trying to achieve, and whether it gels with with you as a person and your, you know your persona, your style, your your your, your quirks, etc. Mm-hmm. I love that, mate. Um, quick point. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer a more broader answer on your last point just quickly. Talk about the amount of income you get uh, and and the total return. Westpac has probably paid an average of, what, 5% dividend over the last five years, something like 5% per annum, mm-hmm. probably, give or take. Mm. The shares are down 33% mm. over that last five years. It's possible you might be roughly break even if you compound those dividends or something. If you, if you kind of, or, you, or, or we're generous about when the dividends were paid and that kind of stuff, although, again, they cut during the um, the COVID crisis. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to suspect that despite Westpac paying you out a pretty nice dividend for most of the time during that last five years, you're actually meaningfully behind the mark. Or you're, sorry, you're meaningfully down in total, right? Mm. You've actually lost money overall, um, even despite that. And that's your point about the um, uh, about the way you think about the you know, dividends versus the total return, right? Mm. If we if we do the same the same work for the ASX, the ASX is up, is up 38% over that period of time. So not only have you mm. probably lost money overall, you've missed the chance, even if you just bought the index, and, and again, you could do even better than that, you're getting a 38% return plus dividends, by the way. That's just the share price return. Mm. And so that's kind of Andrew's point. And that's, I've picked an example I knew the answer to, right? I knew Westpac had been terrible over the last five years. So I'm not saying every company is like that, but if you're just looking for income only and you ignore the quality of the business, you ignore the price you pay, you ignore the growth potential, um, that can be very expensive. You would have actually put money in the bank and just taken out 5% a year and you have more money if you bought Westpac, than if you bought Westpac shares. Mm. Um, so that's worth thinking about. And mate, I think you make a, you make a very good point. One point I'd make um, to okay. one, just, just on that as well, Please. the better income stocks often, um, again, this is when you sort of look over a sort of five, 10-year period, so a reasonably long, mm. long time frame. The better income stocks are often the ones that offer the lower yield. 
which is a bit hard to wrap your head around. <laughs> um, so let me explain yep. it. So so imagine, uh, think of an example here. CSL is probably a good one, right? So back in 2013, let me bring it up, paying $1.10 per share. And given what they were sort of trading at the time, it was probably like a 1% or 2% yield. They, they, don't, they don't have a, they never have had, had a high yield. But then, you know, that dividend doubled in the space of the next three or four years and then doubled again between sort of 2017 mm. and 2021. So when you mm. add up all just forget the capital gains, which have been fantastic, by the way, um, mm. uh, just add up the dividends. I mean, that, it's, a, it's a much better return than something that started with a 5% yield, but the mm-hmm. dividend stayed the same every year. So mm. what really matters, this is just gen- generally true with investing, but it, it, even with, with income investing here, is, is that it's, it's the future flow of that, of that income stream that, that matters. And the yield is always, almost always quoted on, on a historical basis. So last year's dividend divided by the current share price works out a, a rough yield. And that's, mm-hmm. that's good. That's going to be your income return probably in the first year if they pay the same dividend again, which, which most often they will. Yeah. Um, but that's still going to be a pretty ordinary return, if, especially as you say, if the capital doesn't go anywhere or goes down. But even if that dividend just stays the same, it's nowhere near as good as a dividend, a company who's, who's increasing the dividend at 10 or 15% per year. And there's a lot of them yeah, out there. Yeah. They just get missed in a lot of like when people do scans and these kinds of things because they understandably say, I want a high mm-hmm. yield. And they look for these high yielding things. But, 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 uh, but the irony is, is that the, the, the total yield uh, realized over a you know decade long period is is probably mm. nowhere near as good as the is the one and a half percent yielding stock. So just just factor growth matters. <laughs> but always mm. always consider growth and, and factor it in. Nice, mate. Um, I think yeah. So that's, I think that's true. The other thing I, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna agree with you and then also provide an alternative or or a, an additional view, which is just. As you said, the know yourself thing is really, really important, right? I know thyself to use the appropriate uh, old English that you chose to use. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, which is that sounds fancier that way. It does. It's, um, uh, I sound smarter. It's it's important to have a think about what you are looking for as an investor, which is exactly your point, mate. So you know, if you're even despite that, um, we run a service in the monthly four called Everlasting Income, where we literally just are focused on on income, dividends, and some franking credits. And that's for people who are just like, you know what? I hear what you're saying, Andrew. I know total returns more important, but I'd like to know I've got the cash every six months in the bank has got bills to pay. Yeah, fair enough. And that's one sort of investor, right? And as you say, the other sort of investor is, do the dividends even matter? If you if you buy an Amazon and a Tesla and uh, an Afterpay, I don't think any of them paid a cent in dividends, right? And no. so you think about that group and say, well, yeah, you know what? That'd be pretty cool. I could I could fund a really nice retirement lifestyle if I'd bought them each you know, five years before their, well, I don't know, Amazon five years, 10 years ago, half to pay, you know, five years ago, Tesla five years ago. Yeah, probably about right, actually. Five years. Um, you know, so so there are different ways of skinning the same cat. And I think that's your point of like, not only know yourself as an investor, but know what you're looking for specifically mm. and what you're prepared to forego or not for the goals you're looking for. And to your point, mate, it's absolutely, you know, very likely, I think, uh, we, we can't know for sure what the future brings. Very, very likely if you if you focus on income, you're probably going to give up some total return to do so if you're, if you're specifically looking for income. That being said, we also know that in dividends over very long periods of time is about half the total return of the market. And so I also wouldn't ignore that. I think it's 45 I think, annual, yeah. annual, something like that for Australia in a, in a market that goes about 10% a year, right? Mm-hmm. So again, now, of course, that's we're big in banks and there's reasons for all that stuff, but um, franking credits on top of that, there is absolutely value in getting those dividends as well and or just simply saying, well, you know what? I like it. I'd like growth, but I'll have a, I want something with a little bit of dividends. I like just the cash flow. Makes me feel good. And by the way, dividends can often mean companies are solvent and profitable, and able to pay a dividend, all that kind of stuff. That is actually a really good marker of quality 
Um, probably less volatile in terms of total company performance over the long term, not in the short term. Anything's Woolies went from forty to twenty and back again, as I've so twenty to forty and back again, as I said before. So even Woolies is, is volatile if you pick the wrong time. Uh, but it's, yeah, know, know yourself, but also know your strategy and whatever strategy you're looking for. Um, I would agree with you, mate. The total return, and then you can simply live off the income. But some people don't want to have to sell those shares, or they want the franking credits, or whatever it is. Mm. Um, so that can be that can be important as well. Can I add hey, a yep. little bit yep. of a little bit of an adjacency here? But I yeah, w- I would go as far to say that companies should only pay out money that they have don't have um, high confidence that they can reinvest at, at high rates of return. Um, maybe probably need to unpack that a, a little bit. But let's say you've got a business and it's mm-hmm. just super profitable. You sell something that no one else does. There's huge demand for it. And if you, you earn a million dollars in profit, now you pay mm-hmm. that all out to your shareholders. Well, that's yeah. a, a million dollars you don't have to reinvest in the business. Maybe you're getting a 30% return on money invested. That's right. going to be far more superior and, and, and with high degree of confidence. That's going to be far better mm-hmm. than what most people will be able to get on their own. Um, and, and so why would you want them to pay it out? Like keep the yeah, damn money. Right. If you, yeah, think, if you yeah. think you can do that, I am going to yeah, be as a shareholder, as an owner of this business, I am, I am far, far, far better served. So th- and the other, the, the flip side of it is, is um, uh, uh, companies that do keep money and get very low returns on equity and very low well, return on incremental equity to be technically yeah. correct, yeah. Um, they're, 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 they're managing their capital woefully and it's costing you as a, as a shareholder. Mm, mm. Um, some people, you know, companies will do it because they want to make an acquisition or they want to do this or that. But if it's not actually translating into any decent growth, they're wasting your money. Give it, give the damn, give the cash to me. <laughs> you know, I'll buy an ETF with it or something like yeah, that. And you would exactly. be surprised at how <laughs> this legion, this, 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 yeah, that, yeah. that, that is so many ASX companies <laughs> are guilty of, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just pay it out, pay it all yeah. out. If you've got, but yeah. it just it takes a huge degree of honesty and self awareness from a yeah. from a CEO to say, listen, we just don't have, a, you know, we're a, we're a mature business. We don't have a lot of growth opportunities. We'll give the money to you. You invest it. Um, it's like what the banks have done, right? I mean, that's yes. why yields from those banks are like, you know what? Between us all, we own eighty five percent of the market. We can't really buy anything. We can't really grow meaningfully size wise. And the, the billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars the banks have paid back over the last five or ten years is better than them blowing it up trying to do something else. Oh, true. Yep, 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 100% true. Um, it's, it's, it, what really drives me crazy is you see this a lot too, is your company mm-hmm. will pay out all these dividends and then raise money yeah. to, to, to do something else. You know, maybe for a specific acquisition, okay, fair enough. But yeah, like, oh, to accelerate yeah. growth, we're doing this and we're taking on more debt. And it's like, well, yeah. you wouldn't have needed to if you didn't pay out all of those, you know, hundreds of millions mm-hmm. in, in dividends. If you've yeah, got, yeah. if you're sitting there in the boardroom going, wow, we've got a cracking hot opportunity here, don't mm-hmm. don't pay the damn dividend. Now, of course, what's co- what mm-hmm. makes that very hard is because there's some unspoken rule that, a contract between the, the company and the shareholders. The share, no, we want our dividend. But that's shareholders being silly. They're not thinking of, of the big picture here. And that really needs to be the lens in through which all dividends are, are, are viewed. And, yeah. and some companies get it. And it's no surprise that those companies that do, that manage their capital really well, also mm-hmm. by raising capital when the share price is high, buying shares back when they think that, that, that just leads to such immense mm-hmm. shareholder wealth creation. Mm-hmm. But, but, but too few companies are focused on it because they, they're, they're giving the people what they think they want 
and not yeah. what they need. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's it's it drives me a bit crazy. Exactly. Just exactly. quietly. I, I completely agree. I, I gotta say, man, I'm I, I tend to I tend to be devil's advocate generally speaking. So when you're saying that I'm also starting to think the opposite, but also you've gone both ways, which makes it hard. I you don't also, have I'm to also, disagree. <laughs> no, I no no no. I was more I was more the point that I'm 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 actually I'm an optimist by nature, but I'm also someone who has taken Charlie Munger's uh, idea to heart. Never think about anything else when you should be thinking about incentives, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of a company retaining capital to invest it. Mm-hmm. Right? I I love that. I am have been around way too long to think that that's often and always a good idea because even with the best of intentions, they still manage to screw it up. Mm. You know what I mean? It's one of yeah. those It's one of those situations where like, I don't know if I want... If, <laughs> it, money burns holes in CEOs and boards' pockets too easily, right? It does. We've got this cash, we have to do something with it, let's do something with it. Mm. Like, oh, no, 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 they don't. Mm. You know, they make some stupid acquisition or, yeah. or, or, you know, try and build a new empire of some description or other. Go into a completely so different market or, you know... Expand well, so, into yeah. China, right? Well, speaking of banks, right? NAB went to the UK, screwed that up. Went to America, screwed that up. ANZ went to Asia, screwed that up. Um, like at some point, it's guys, guys just you know, I, so I, I take your point about mm. don't pay it out. You know, reinvest it if you can. I just think if we actually handicapped management's egos, there'd be a whole lot more dividends being paid. Put it that way. Mm. You know, like it's one of those. Like, do I want them to chase growth if they can get it? Of course, but we're not going to chill after the fact. And no CEO is a shrinking violet who thinks I'm actually not very good at this job. I won't. I won't try and grow because I'll probably screw it up. Every CEO is like, I've got the best idea ever. You watch this, mm. and I just, I don't, I don't know, mate. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really torn because you're right. Like Buffett paid a dividend once in 1965, then never again, right? And shareholders have been eternally blessed by that. I've, I own Berkshire shares. As Alice as well, and truly know, but I should disclose it anyway. Um, so you know what? Absolutely. Others who went and blew up money acquiring rubbish stuff. Um, I Censure comes to mind, right? A recommendation of ours that went and bought King content and, and just oh, yeah. literally wrote down to exactly zero, right? They just li- they should have gone out the back, lit a bonfire and torched the money. At least they would have saved on investment bank fees, right? Like it, yes. It was just, it was just stupid. Yeah. And so you kind of go, I don't know, mate. I, like I, I, I want the retained money to grow. I do. I'm, I just, I wonder at some level, if you at least see the dividend cash, you can choose, as you say, where to put it. Um, now, we all have our own arrogance and we think we can invest the money as well, right? So mm. <laughs> management's doing it on behalf of the company, we're doing it on behalf of ourselves and both are making the same judgment calls or trying to. I don't know, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, oh, well, look, this is, this is the thing that I think what I was saying is theoretically true, but, yeah. but there's, there's this little thing yeah. called execution yeah. risk. So, right. um, yeah, and, and there's just this little thing called um, the life in the universe that we live in, which is just very, yeah. very complex and ever-changing and no one's got any perfect foresight. So yeah. the best intentions, yeah. the best reasoning, the best strategy, which just looks perfectly sensible, can turn out to be wrong. And we can give management a hard time about that. So, yeah, that, that's a totally valid point. So you, you, you as an investor do have to judge the merits of the strategy as stated mm-hmm. and and, whether, and then whether they've got the ability to execute on that. That's yeah. Incidentally, that's, that's probably where I spend a very substantial chunk of my time when looking at a business because mm. it is it is it is so important and yet it's so hard to answer it's not in any ratio it's not in any financial statement yeah you know yeah. it's 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 a very it's a very uh, slippery thing to kind of nail down but it's but it's everything it's everything yeah. you name you name all of the great exactly. businesses that you what did you say yeah. before like you know yeah. the, the Teslas and the Amazon you know, there's not there's not many Elon Musks out there or Jeff Bezos out there and by the way both of yeah, these gentlemen right. have got some 
very unsavory characteristics to their characters. But in I've terms of running, allegedly, and Andrew said that not but, me. Well, I also him. Um, but you know, but 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 hey, credit where it's due. They are, they are very visionary. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. You know, they, they've executed extraordinarily yes. well. Yes. And and those people are rare. You know, use a golf analogy. There's not there's not many Tiger Woods out there. So, you know, it's all good and well to sort of for me to describe the perfect golf swing to you. <laughs> you put me on a golf course. I don't play golf, So what by you have to way. do, tiger, but tiger, tiger, what you got to do is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like I might say everything right, but I am just going to like <laughs> hack that grass up and bend my club like nobody's business. So, so yeah, you, you have to. You, you're right. You're, un, you're 100% right. But that's, 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 that's the challenge. That's what you're trying to figure out. That's a big oh, part of what you're trying good. to figure out. Very, very good. Mate, simple question. Okay. Well, simple question for a simple man. I'm ready. Short, no, short question. Not, not an easy answer. Easy question. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Gareth says, I still feel like an inflationary environment is going to be scary for good stocks with high PEs. Do you worry about PE compression? In other words, do you worry that if inflation goes up, rates come up, PEs come down, price earnings ratios come down, as they should, assets assets should be less expensive or cost less when interest rates are higher. By definition, that's the way the investment maths works. Mm. Do you worry, mate, about price earnings compression for companies you own? Yep, a lot. So if to you, the point of doing something about it or the yeah, point of just going, yeah, that would suck? Yeah, no, I think I've been doing something about it for a while. Um, Have you? Yeah. So, so when you look at the you, – you quoted the market's returns – um, mm. Before, yes. Now, uh, the the biggest driver of share price and market returns are, are profits and, and how they grow. So if you yes, if you were right. just to like plot a bar <laughs> chart of the 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 profit of the um, mm. every mm. ASX listed company, you yep. kind of see this sort of pretty even staircase going uh, bottom left, top right, um, and you'd have this share price moving all all, all over the place. But it but it kind of anchors mm. to that. It's kind of there's an attractor that's there that sort of draws it back when it gets too high and pulls it up when it gets too low over time and eventually <laughs> kind of kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. But on top of that, you do have to layer the stretchiness of that, the, the elastic band, if the you will. stretchiness. That connects that share price with that. And, and, and that's it. what PEs do. And so yep. Yep. a big – so what I'm getting at here is when you – look. so this is fact before we get to, mm. to, to the mm. theory mm. and forecast. When you mm. – the, the fact is of the matter over the last, I don't know, probably 10 years almost really mm. – but mm. certainly last five years, a big part of the market's returns have been that multiple expansion, as, as yeah. they put it. We, that is yeah. that, yes, earnings have, have generally gone up, but what's also gone up is, is how much people are paid to pay for each dollar of earnings. Now, if that reverses, you can get a scenario where earnings continue to rise, but the multiple falls and overall it's a wash, or in fact, it could even be down. And if we go into a higher interest rate environment, that's, that is definitely the case. So we've, yep. we've talked a lot about this uh, on the podcast, but yep. my general view is that um, I can't predict this kind of stuff and I've never seen anyone <laughs> who can. But Correct. I do know that whenever I'm buying shares that have a very high multiple, mm. I need to be confident of two things, one of two things. Uh, uh, either the earnings growth is going to be so substantial as to offset any PE compression yep. um, or that the PE is going to stay high. And that's hard. I mean, it's hard enough to try and forecast what a company is going to be earning in yeah, five years' time. That's right. To know what mood the market is going to be in five years' time is diabolically. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can't do it. Anything can happen. So yeah. uh, it just, it just, I, I find it a much riskier proposition. So I've left, as it turns out, a lot of money on the table by mm-hmm. avoiding. 
companies with very high multiples or selling out of some of my companies or at least selling yeah. down in some of my companies when the multiples have gotten too high. Because I just, I don't want to, it's not that my view of the company has changed, but all of a sudden I'm, my future returns are, are now much more dependent on this crazy Mr. Market being in a good mood, which is not <laughs> something that makes me particularly comfortable. Now, as yeah. it turns out, I probably could have ridden that a lot longer in a lot of other situations and I would have been great, but it's, it's, it's a game of chicken <laughs> I, to me. And I, I feel as though it's, 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 a, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a little risky. There's actually, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there's lots of examples of this kind of stuff mm-hmm. where the market gets so super excited about a company and just shoots the multiple up to the stratosphere. <laughs> and you look back five years later and the share price has gone nowhere overall. Mm-hmm. But actually look at the business and like, well, actually everything that people were sort of saying kind of came true, right? Like mm. business went on and grew very well. It's just that shareholders paid. You can, you can do really badly as an investor by investing in a really, really great company. Nothing is, quote Charlie Munger right, again, right, right. no company is yeah, worth an yeah. infinite amount. And, yeah, exactly. you know, so, so, so I don't know. I said CSL before. Great Aussie company. Mm. Would I buy that for $10 million a share? No. Because no matter what that thing does, it can compound its its a profit. A trillion dollar valuation is probably too much. Yeah, to it's, it's too much. I'm never yeah. going to do well yeah. at it because at yeah. some point in the future, people are going to go, well, I'm not going to pay that. Why would I do that? <laughs> and it's it's certainly worth more than a dollar a share. So it's just logic, yeah. right? Like between yeah. a dollar and a trillion dollars, there's, there's something that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think you, you you do need to be careful with that kind of stuff. And um it's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky because because what what you can do is you can buy companies or avoid companies on that basis and then have the market just rub your nose in it for the next 6, 12, 24, 36 months, you know. Investing is the art of looking really silly for long periods of time and uh, that's if you do it well. <laughs> so, yeah, it's always, uh, go on. Yeah, well, eventually, you, you, it's, eventually you're, you're hopefully proven right and, and that's, that's, mm. that's what you're trying to do. But, you, you know, it's just this idea that to do well on the market – is there's what you know? People often think you need to have a high strike rate, so almost everything you buy turns out to be well. That's not true. You can have a terrible strike rate and, and still do well. But the other misconception I think is is that a stock that does well goes well immediately, <laughs> and they just generally don't. All of the great investments they they often languish for often years, or the market just misses them for a while until it just you just they it can no longer be ignored because of the incredible earnings growth that that is realised in that. Um, anyway, I'm rambling. What do you think? Um, I can't add much, so I'm probably not going to, other than to say reinforce your original point around you either need to pay a good price for current earnings or expect that future earnings are going to make up for any PE compression and or inflation. Mm. And that, that that is literally the key point, right? So, um, I, you know, Amazon's a wonderful example. Amazon might be worth $2,500 a share rather than $3,000 a share in a higher inflation environment. Mm. But if you bought it at nine bucks, you really don't care. Mm. So, you know, there's an IOM. Because the earnings growth um, offset the compression. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, exactly. The business growth is just so phenomenal. Uh, in Amazon's case, earnings growth was zero back then, so it didn't have an E, actually, so it wasn't a PE. But you know what I mean? That yep. kind of idea of a business that grows fast enough. And by the way, it has to, be, has to you know, justify itself to, to grow the like that. Um, the other thing I wanted to add was in terms of thinking about the the way you consider future price, like, you know, Shells will pay, or in other investors will pay a price at a, in a future point. But hoping that someone might possibly pay more than you at some point because of some sort of boom, to Andrew's point, would be really silly. So when Andrew said, "Look, I, I sold because I thought it was just too expensive," the fact that other people keep paying you more is not evidence you're wrong necessarily. It may be in the fullness of time, by the way. Mm. But when if you sold shares in Enron at forty and they went to fifty or sixty, oh man, I was an idiot. See, I was wrong. The market. Oh, actually, no, they're bankrupt and they're worth nothing. Mm. So you know, was it was it? Were you wrong when the shares went to sixty? No, that's just life. That's just volatility, and you never pick the top, right? So you're not picking something because it's the top. You're saying because 
cost benefit, you know, risk reward. I don't think it's worth owning anymore. Doesn't mean the shares can't go higher. They almost certainly will because that's what happens in life. Um, and again, to your point, mate, actually, oh, this leads to another question I'll ask, but I'll just very quickly say um, that you've got to be careful, as you said, to assume the market's going to see it your way straight away. Because that, that is the problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I bought the shares, now they're down. What's going on? What did I get wrong? Well the, well, the market didn't know you bought the shares and, and even if it did, it wouldn't all of a sudden change its mind. You know, I'm, not, I'm no oracle, right? If I buy shares tomorrow, everyone in the market does go, oh, Scott bought shares. Oh, he's a genius. Yep. Okay, well, let's put the share price up. Like, no, we didn't like it yesterday. You bought it today. I'm not mm-hmm. going to like it tomorrow just because you bought it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever happens to the share price will happen independent of your purchase. Again, on the same as the way up. If you sold it right at 40, you weren't wrong because it then went to 60. Um, on the flip side... If you had Amazon at 100 and then it went to nine, you weren't wrong because it fell because then it went up to 3,000. And so mm. that that same logic applies, which takes me to, mate, mm. um, uh, have you got your drinking glass handy? <laughs> yes. We had a couple of questions from Jordan and Wombat. Kogan, so I'll get to this quickly. It? it is Kogan. <laughs> um, Drink. It, it's, it's, I've, got, I've, got, I've actually got three questions on it. So um, well, I'll answer a couple. The other one was the same. Uh, but uh, just, just because we're being asked a bit about it, they know I own the share, so I'll, I'll do them the, the honour of replying, then we'll move on. Um, Hi, Scott, says Jordan, would love your thoughts on Kogan's recent announcement. Drink, he says. Mm-hmm. And if your thesis is cha- challenged, has been challenged or has changed, I should say. As an investor, I'm seriously concerned regarding Kogan's corporate governance and its 2026 prediction, which seems like a Hail Mary to keep investors around and excited. I'm a long-term investor, but my conviction for this company is waning and I'm considering decreasing my position to allocate to higher conviction companies. Look forward to hearing on the mailbag. Then Wombat says, question for the next podcast as requested. Thank you, mate. Why is Kogan having such a bad run? Question mark. (laughs) He also asked about Smart Group. He says, hashtag long-term investor, not panicking, and a smiley face with sunglasses. I don't know if an emoji has a name, but that's the emoji he's given us. Uh, Or she, I think it's a bloke, Wombat. Uh, Either way, uh, mate, so this is a good question. I'm going to quickly touch on it, then I'm going to get you to touch on it, then we'll move on. Mm -hmm. So we won't spend too much time on this one. We've covered Kogan a lot. Um, So first things first, uh, Jordan, if you are losing conviction, you have better conviction elsewhere, then change. I'm not, I'm not changing, but if you, you know, Andrew's said many, many times, I'm going to steal your word here, mate. You can borrow an idea, but you can't borrow the conviction. If you don't, if you don't have enough conviction, then by all means, go and buy something you have more conviction. I'm not going to try and tell you not to just because I own the shares. I think they're a buy right now, right? But if you don't agree, then cool. Go and, go and do what you feel better about because you're more likely to hang on. If the shares keep falling and you eventually sell in some sort of capitulation, um, that's worse than selling now. So if you're going to sell, sell early. Uh, that being said, it's hardly early and the shares are down a bit, quite a lot actually, over the last little while. Uh, we're recording this on Monday morning, by the way, before the market opens after the Omicron news on the weekend. So goodness knows what's happening by the time you're listening to this podcast. Um, we can only say what's happening now. So look, that's the first thing. Second thing... Um, Confidence tends to wane when share prices fall. If, if you didn't know the share price right now, if, if the market was closed, had been closed for the last 18 months, and you saw the numbers from Kogan, would you feel a, a similarly, would you, would you have similarly reduced conviction or is the share price seeking in? Now, I can't tell you which is which. So I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what the answer to that is. I'm not even going to assume that's your view. But it's natural for anybody to be like, oh my God, I bought it. 15, now it's 12, now it's 10, now it's eight. Oh my God, I'm an idiot. I don't really, and, and now I'm seeing this bad news and maybe it's all right and maybe I should reconsider and now I'm reconsidering and you get the idea. So um, that that's that's the question. In terms of corporate governance, I have no issues with their corporate governance. They got a, a second strike on their salary remuneration thing, which I, this is a whole different rant, Ram. This whole shareholder voter remuneration, I think is the world's most stupid idea. Fundies use it to complain about remuneration or about corporate strategy or about a falling share price. It's kind of like, you know, the every, to a man with a hammer, every problem's a nail. Mm. There is one nail and it's the remuneration vote. 
And you do, you can. You, I mean, they could, the shells could vote to spill the directors, but they don't. They vote on the remuneration report to make a point, right? Oh, second strike for Kogan. It's in the news. What can we do to make you guys not vote for? You know, it's 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 a little bit of leverage, and it's being used. I think I think the whole thing is stupid. Not that I'm saying remuneration isn't too high. That's entirely different. This non-buying remuneration vote is dumb. Anyway. So I don't have a problem with their corporate governance at all, personally. Revenue prediction, I'm going to say to you, Jordan, I actually don't know what that number is. And I have no problem not knowing what that number is because I'm not, you know, every company will tell you how great their future is going to be, right? Um, if I'm investing based on company press release, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not saying you are, by the way. Um, that 23 number has no interest to me. I've not, I don't know what it is. I can't remember what it is. I probably have read it a few times, I'm sure. I can't remember what the number is. What I have looked at is growing sales and growing gross profits. And I have a conviction they will turn that into net profit, bottom line profit at some point, at an increasing rate. And that is my basis for liking the company. That's it. Um, over time, more profits, more sales, more gross profit, more sales. If they can keep those customers, contribute, you know, convert those customers, get economies of scale to start working well for them, the profits will come. Unless they completely screw it up, which is possible, right? But if you have a company that's growing top line at 50% and gross profit at 50%, uh, you know, <laughs> as long as that's reasonably continuable, you would have to do an almighty, a colossal job to screw that up. And it's possible, right? Maybe they screw it up. Uh, but the odds aren't, are very, very good that they won't. Or, sorry, I should say the odds in general, if you had a company with those attributes, very unlikely they're going to screw that up to the point where you're going to lose meaningful amounts of money. So that's that's why I have conviction on Kogan. That's my view. Um, yes, Wombat, to your point, why is it having such a bad run? So it's a related question, Ram. And this goes back to, as what I was saying about your answer before, it's having a bad run because investors don't like it. Mm. <laughs> They're losing conviction and selling. Mm. Now, as I said, maybe this is Enron on the way out or maybe this is Amazon on the way down before it goes back up again. We can't know. No one can know, right? But in the short run, if you're asking why, the answer is always, always, always sentiment unless the numbers are getting materially worse. And frankly, over the went from 12 to 8 over the last year probably made, I think, something like that, close enough to it. Um, Drifted away because investors wanted something exciting. They didn't get the exciting stuff and they think the shares are worth less. Now, maybe it, maybe it is worth less. Maybe it's worth 25% less. No, a third less, sorry. Possible. I, d I don't think so. I think the growth numbers still remain really strong. And in fact, were very, very good. So I have no issue with the growth trajectory. Um, so you can argue that the business is getting worse, that the future is worth less than it was 12 months ago. Potentially, that's absolutely an argument you could make. Uh, I think that's really unlikely. And again, I could be wrong as well. I'm not... I'm giving you a... a, 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 a a confident answer, but not a certain answer. Um, you mentioned the other week, Ram, um, uh, high conviction. Was it something strong? Strong opinions loosely held. Mm. Um, mm. I have a strong opinion that Kogan will improve. Uh, the market doesn't agree with me right now. One of us is right. <laughs> but remember, this is the thing, Walmart and Jordan, just before I'll wrap up and let Ram jump in, you can't let the market tell you what to think. You just can't. So why is it having a bad run? Does it matter? No. <laughs> Again, if the market was closed, would you pay, you know, are you happy with the, comp the performance of the company? The fact that shares are falling in the meantime either means there's something out there that is real that you should take account of and pay less for, which is the first thing, or the market's just changed its mind. And either of those things are okay. If your view is Kogan is going to be a successful business in 2025 and 2030 and whatever else in the future, then the falling share price in the meantime is completely useless. If you think the business is worth less now because of the numbers, then the market might be right and you should reconsider. Or, by the way, the shares have already fallen, so the question now isn't why are they, why have they fallen, but is it good value at today's price? Over to you, mate. I think the market – this is a good example of what we were talking about before, I think. Um, mm -hmm. So Kogan um, – I don't hold Kogan, but I don't hate it. Um, I think I think Rosalind's done an incredible job. You know, he started this mm -hmm. literally in his mum's garage, this business. 
And, you know, even a few years ago it was earning about 15 cents a share and mm. pre-pandemic about 30 cents a share. They doubled their profit mm. per mm. share in a, in a couple of years. I just brought up the forecast. Comsec sort of give a consensus forecast from what the various brokers who contribute to it. They're, they're sort of saying that this thing could be earning, back to so COVID really knocked them about a bit, um, mm. but they could mm. be sort of back to 30-odd cents, 32 cents on the consensus. Yep. You know, look, let's let's not put too much weight in that. Analysts are often yeah, wrong, yeah. but just- well, That's exactly right. But I'm, but I'm just putting it out there, right? Yep. Just, sure. as, just, as a, just as a stake in the ground here. Mm-hmm. Um, call it 40 cents. Maybe, maybe they exceed- exceed uh, forecast by 30%, you know? Yeah. I still think what you're seeing here is that the market has actually been correcting previous um, uh, overzealousness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So is look at, as you you just rightly pointed out, look at the business. The business is going really well. There's pretty good reason to expect for it to continue to go really well. Mm -hmm. Was it worth 25 bucks a share? Uh, Not for me. I, that 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 that's that's where the the market got wrong. So what we're seeing here is is a, is a PE compression of a very significant degree. Um, it's actually now getting interesting. Um, I just had a very quick look, and based on those numbers on a forward basis, still up there, still a PE of twenty six or something like that. Um, but it's actually it 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 seems to me as there was just too much exuberance in the price. And this is as I said, what, what great example of what we we're talking before. Uh, is it a good business? Yeah. Was it worth twenty five bucks a share? Uh, I don't know. To me, to me, that seems. And at that point in time, that was on a, that was on a trailing uh, <laughs> PE of ninety six. Mm. Now, it's not a technology company. You know, it's not zero. It's not. It's not one hundred percent gross margin, infinitely scalable global mm. market. You know, it's very much Australian focused. So it's a limited market size. They need to buy inventory mm-hmm. to do all of this. In fact, that was the bit bit of the sort of the, the story behind their woes recently. They overstocked mm. and all of this other kind of stuff. Retail's hard. Retail is super hard, and it's not. It's not any less hard because you're competing against literally the biggest, baddest, most ruthless retailer in the world, <laughs> right. which is Amazon. Right. Um, not that, not by the way, not that that's a, a thesis killer for me, but it's 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 just it just it means that when it was trading at a PE of ninety six, it was to me it was just silly, and now it's actually getting to a point where it it makes sense. So so I'd I'd look at it more through that lens than what the share price has done. So as you've often said, either the market was mm. wrong before or it's wrong now. I I feel as though what what you've seen in this instance, mm. my guess is is the market was wrong before. And it's probably right now. And so the other difficult decision is, I, I suppose, is if you did buy it 25 bucks. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a sliding spectrum all the way down. We can, we can argue the toss <laughs> as to what point it became sensible. Right, right. Um, uh, but it sucks. I'm sorry that it's, it's done that. And, and, you know, I'm no, I'm no stranger to that, that feeling and that experience. <laughs> um, but the question really is today, mm. you've got X dollars in Kogan. Would you put that much money into it today, based on, regardless of what you're lost? You can't change. You can't go back in time, but you can reallocate that capital. So if you're looking at all of the 2,000 different shares out there, and you feel as though Kogan at the current price is a is one of the better opportunities out there, then leave your money there. Maybe add some more yep. to it. Um, yep. that, but that's the question, though. The question isn't should I sell because it's gone down. The question is should I sell because there's no longer value at the current price, or there's not value at Correct. the current price. That's the question you need to ask. If you blink into existence today, you, you know 
everything before was just a, 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 a the fervent dreams of a madman, you know. And you just here you are, and you're very lyrical today, and, man, and, and 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 you find yourself holding this particular portfolio with this particular <laughs> company in there with a particular weighting in it. Yeah. Um, if you're happy with that, based on what you see of the future, then keep keep yes. on it. If you don't, or, and this yeah. is what you said, then then sell. But yeah, I, I actually think it's now it's now it's getting interesting. I will. Um, uh, it's, the other the other analogy we've used is if you had a, if your entire portfolio was sold this afternoon, would you buy it back tomorrow? Yes, the same, I love the that. same proportion, yeah. right? Same same mm. same thing as you said. Yeah, you know, if you if you heard of this portfolio with this size, or um, if you linked into existence, as you said more lyrically, mm-hmm. uh, or if you did. Now, I will say, mate, for what it's worth, I I still think Kogan is dramatically undervalued. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to to your point about you know twenty times trailing earnings is really really cheap for a business that can grow at twenty percent for a really long time if it achieves those things. Now the, the if is the smallest big word in the English language, right? Mm-hmm. If this, if that, man, you know, um, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bicycle, as the old quote goes. Um, if I could only pick the top fifteen performing stocks over the next ten years, I'm going to be a squillionaire. Um, you know, if 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 the if is a tiny tiny word, but it means everything. So the question for I think I think it's really cheap at eight bucks. Had, had I not been answering this question right now, I would be buying shares this week, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Now, that's each to their own and I might be entirely wrong. I think that 20 times trailing earnings looks really cheap if it can keep growing sales and earnings at that sort of rate. You don't have to grow earnings at 20% a year for very long to make these numbers look. I mean, yeah, people are paying... Let me find out for a second. Now, very different business, right? Uh, I'm going to quickly pull up some numbers before I give away what I'm saying. Woolies, people are paying 33 times earnings for Woolies, which is growing at about, it's going to grow at 6% a year, mm. right? You're paying 20 times earnings for Kogan. Again, Woolies might be overvalued, Kogan might be undervalued. They might both be overvalued. Um, I think in a, in a relative sense, um, I, I think Kogan is good value. Now, again, could be wrong. I wouldn't overweight it in the portfolio. Don't go and sell your house and buy Kogan shares. If you own it, great. If you don't own it, great. Um, I would buy some, but that's that's up to you. So and Andrew and I have a different view, which is awesome. So one of us is going to be right, and Andrew's going to be—I mean, one of us is going to be wrong. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll see how we go from there. And so I else, not, yeah, well, I just I just clarifying that it's it's the, yeah, sure. yeah. I feel as though in this game, particularly if ever you're on TV or radio or something like that, you just you have to have the oh, this is what I think, and this is definitely <laughs> what it is. Yeah. And and I just I was whinging to you the other day about that and and to me it's just like it's, there's yes. nothing yes. wrong absolutely yeah. to my mind at least maybe yeah. it just makes yeah. me feel better but there's nothing wrong with just sort of saying I just don't know yep. no I, and yep. so it's not I don't want to I don't want to be painted here as the Kogan bear I'm far from it I I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not I don't have strong feelings so as I said I think it's actually looking quite interesting. Last time I did a valuation on Strawman for it, it came up about twelve bucks, right? So it's there you go. See that? so so I'm I'm not I'm not bearish on it. I'm just all mm-hmm. I'm all I'm saying is is that um, I've got other opportunities which I think I've just got higher conviction in personally, yeah, totally. and yep. and the explanation for it for me at least was you know based on my little back of the envelope calculation was that sort of above twelve it just didn't make a, a, a huge amount of sense. Yeah, um, I was going to say something else and it's completely escaped. So, yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to a question from Cameron, mate, because this is kind of related and kind of fun. Hi, Scott and Ram. First name only, please, like the I did. Uh, long-term listener, first-time questioner. Thank you for throwing one in. You talk about being a long-term investor and beating the market, but often it takes time for your thesis to play out. Often. So how do you go almost about- Almost always <laughs> for me. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, and it must, right? By definition, it must. If you're a long-term investor- even if, even if things go well in the short term, there's nothing to say the long term will still work well. Like mm. that, that's almost the yeah. point, right? If you know, the, if the shares go up in three months, your thesis hasn't played out. 
The shares have just gone up. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, all right. So how do we go about beating the market year on year? Is it a case of not worrying about one-year performances or is it simply a case of diversification so that your theses play out at a different over different time periods? Cheers from Cameron. It's hmm. a good question. So easy to be a long-term investor or say you're a long-term investor. You've got a portfolio and you're having a rough year and things are tough. Do you kind of ignore the one-year time periods? Do you try and have different companies with different things going on so that you have excuse me, different, different kind of expectations? How, how do you think about that, mate? I think that the significance of a year is that it's the time it takes for the Earth to do a full <laughs> orbit around the sun. Oh, he's gone from he's gone from uh, English literature to science. <laughs> this is the Renaissance podcast. I like, I like a bit of astronomy, I do. But <laughs> but that's kind of it, right? Like yeah. it's you know, yeah, that's right. There's a, there's a lot <laughs> of, does it matter? You know, well, that's that's a pretty good reason. It's a, it's a pretty good, it's, it's as good as anything to sort of set the basis of how we sort of measure time. Yeah, track some time. Yep. yep. Um, but. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but what does that mean? I mean, am I, yeah. I, I've never bought a company based on what I think it's going to do in the next year. You know, it's yep. and and I would also say that again, do a study of all the great investors out there. They have many long and extended and frequent periods of underperformance. Mm-hmm. They do, but by definition, <laughs> the definition yep. I've just given that they've, they've got incredible long term <laughs> returns, yep. and you often find that the the returns really come. Um, in these short bursts where they just make insane, then you'll have you'll have periods where it's like, oh my god, their return was eighty percent this year, and then people get crazy again. They go, oh, they can do that every year, and it's like, no, 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 it just the the the, the growth, the returns yeah. come as a function of sort of you know two steps backward, three steps forward, one step backwards, mm-hmm. four steps forward, five steps backwards, and then two mm-hmm. steps forward. It's this it's this stumbling drunkard that's wandering through the village. But you know they're making their way to the pub. Um, sooner or later they're getting there. They're just they're just they're just yeah. they're just stumbling backwards quite often That's along right. the way. That's right. And and so yeah, what again? What matters is what the business is doing and its prospects. Mm. Um, mm. There are some incredible incredible businesses that just got knocked for six during COVID. Now none of the CEOs could have foreseen that. No one on earth saw foresaw it. And and none of the and there are plenty of CEOs. Well, no CEOs. Um, well, most companies couldn't have really done anything about it, even if they did see it coming. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. Uh, you know, and then, then there'll be something <laughs> else next year, or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just it's that's so you can you can only sort of look through it in the lens of, hey, I like this business because overall, over time, no, no, not not by the time the Earth is in this same position next year, um, it, it will be doing better. <laughs> and I, I really think that for me, a minimum sort of forecast period tends to be mm. about three years and, and, and usually longer. I'm trying to sort of cast, that's, I actually think, I've said it repeatedly, I think that's, that's one of the few remaining edges we have as private investors is thinking mm. beyond the next year because I guarantee you every stockbroker and sell-side analyst and out there, they're all, they're all working on a year because they're all trying to get their bonus. They're all trying, that's how they're measured against a benchmark over these periods. Mm. And they're all trying to play this game. It's just a very hard game. If you can sort of look beyond all of that, that's that's a massive, massive, massive edge. So don't. There's no significance in a year. What all that matters is that the business remains attractive and the outlook remains bright, and the price relative to that expectation makes sense. As long as those things line up, keep on holding and, and buy more. It, it will out in time, guaranteed. If you're right, yep. <laughs> there's that there's that if there's that right. big little word again. <laughs> if you're right, but uh, yeah, but yeah. I, I will guarantee that. I will, I will guarantee that. Uh, go back to Kogan as an example. If they grow their earnings at 20% compound over the next five years, I will bet you my firstborn, my left arm, you name it, that they, mm. their share price will be much higher than it is today. 
Um, there's, there's a financial gravity at play there where the market just can't ignore certain things after a point in time. Um, so that's that's the way to look at it. That, forget about the year, the month, the quarter. You know, they're, 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 it, 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 companies release information on these cycles. So I guess there's some relationship there that, you know, that, that you only get an annual result once a year and that helps you sort of, you know, make sure that you're on target and things are still fitting with your thesis and all of that kind of stuff. But mm. yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not something I, I think a hell of a lot about. I can't do much more than that. Um, it's yeah. The market's not going to think you're right just cause you are. Um, we've given plenty of examples. I'll Apple, Amazon, Tesla went nowhere for five years straight. Actually went down. I think I gave mm. the numbers a few podcasts ago, Andrew. Mm. Tesla, it was, it was something like a five-year period or four-year period where Tesla shares were down, Yeah, right? And now they're up like 100-fold or something. It's like a stupid difference. Well, why? And, and why? Why is that? Was the market right. changed? Oh, yeah, obviously the market changed its mind, but it changed its yep. mind because the, the numbers mm. were there, right? Like the sales mm. just exploded in all of those examples. And the market can ignore that for a while, but it, it's not going to ignore it. We can't ignore it forever. And sometimes it is performance, right? Sometimes it does make more profit, but it's the it's the delivery of a thesis you already had, which is I think in few time Tesla will make some decent money and at that point it'll be worth more. Yeah. And that's also true, right? And the market is catching up to some degree. So one year, no. Different theses, no. Although if you're dollar cost averaging and you do it for long enough, there's a decent chance your theses do play out sort of not sequentially because some mm. just go badly, some happen soon, some happen a long time later. But the, if you're kind of investing regularly, it will almost be the case that just simple law of averages means that something is moving in one direction while something is moving somewhere else and you do end up with a flattening out. But no, if you like the idea, you like the thesis, who cares how long it takes to play out? I mean, if it takes a million years, you lose money. Mm. But, um, you know, don't, don't, don't buy on that. Mate, one last one to finish off. Um, and this is a more, more uh, theoretical question, but it's also it's not stock specific. It's about a young person. I hate young people because they're too young, as we said before. They have some guy we'll never have, and that is more time on this earth, and that makes me grumpy. And because I'm a grumpy old man, get off my lawn. <laughs> Nick asks, thanks. Oh, he says, thanks for answering my question on the podcast. You're welcome, Nick. With the plethora of free information and advice online, would you recommend young people see a financial advisor, or are they a waste of money? Ooh. <laughs> is that a good question? That's a good question. Oh, he's laughing already. Oh. This is going to be good. Sit back, relax. Here we go. I think the financial uh, advisory industry, it's like any industry. I'd say this of uh, mm. doctors, of uh, pilots, of of people like us. You know, there's, there's kind of an yep. 80-20 rule out there. Teachers, nurses, fireys. <laughs> you know, just the, yep. there are just some people that are just so exceptional that they're worth every cent. They're probably, you could pay 10 times as much and still get incredible value. And then you have this big, long, fat tail of mediocrity and, and uh, incompetence. <laughs> and that's true in the financial advice game. Yes, really. So any financial advisors listening out there, I'm sure you're one of the good ones. And if you are, <laughs> you're... By definition, they're listening to Motley for yeah, well, money. You know, but be. I mean, and I, I don't want to... It's, it's, yeah. really, it's really wrong to generalise and say they're all crooks because yep. they're not. There is some, some, never, just, ever, ever generalise. Never, ever generalise. <laughs> um but so the question here is yes, it's worth seeing one if if yeah. if you know of a good one. Um, I actually don't because I, I don't I don't use one given what Same. I do for a job. That's the hardest. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's it's one question I never answer when people ask. Who should I go and see? I have no. I just idea. don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. I know that there is plenty of bad ones out there, um, <laughs> and I know there are some really good ones out there. Right. Exactly. Uh, generally speaking, it's the ones that. Um, yeah. You talk about incentives before, like some of them will have, mm -hmm. there's some incentives out there is to recommend certain products because yeah. th that's the ones they get trailing commissions on or something like yeah. that. 
I don't think they're really looking after you. I think they're looking after you. And we had a we had a royal commission that kind of unequivocally <laughs> demonstrated that in 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 certain ways. So mm. uh, it's a hard one. That, that, I, it's not a satisfying answer, but that's my answer. I don't have much more to add, mate. Um, I think the best use of financial advice is structural. So that is, if you're going to be adding lots of money, if you want to invest in a family trust or a company structure your own, understanding kind of where you're sitting financially is important. Uh, if you need advice on insurances and things like wills and estate planning, that's stuff the average person can't do well to, to be able to navigate the stuff that's on, online. There's so much stuff online. It's all broad and vague. So that stuff I think is more, more useful. Paying an advisor every every year for potentially no change, particularly if they're charging you a percentage of your assets. I've said before, uh, my mother was being charged almost 2% per year from a financial advisor for going to see him for half an hour a year. What a crook. Um, I'll say it. Mate. You, you didn't name him, so I'll just say that. You know, It just makes you sick, you doesn't it? Um, it really it really does. It was, it, and I'm talking, I mean, mum has not got a heap of money, but uh, enough money that it was, it was, it was highway robbery. Um, the dollar value she was paying was just stupidly large. For what? Just, for what? Right. Now, um, if he was for, if he was doing something that would that that made her yes. like you know ridiculous returns, then worth every yeah. cent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I bet he didn't Correct. though. I'm just going to go out. And there. the structural oh. stuff up front, I'm sure, was worthwhile. Yeah. But every single year, that's the bit that annoys me. The other, the only problem you go will say is most financial advisors won't take you on for much less than a very large lump sum up front, make their time worthwhile. Apparently, um, I don't have a good answer to that problem yet. I'm working on it. Um, it's one of those. They have a lot of paperwork to do and a lot of obligations. And so I spoke to a couple of financial advisors only recently to get some structural advice, which I was talking about. And they both said, oh, I can't take you on for less than two and a half or three grand up front. Like, man, I'm not paying. And I said, nice, I'm not paying that. And they said, this guy, I get it. Like, no, it wasn't bad. It wasn't, he was like, this is what it's going to cost me to, you know, if I take on a new client, that's how much I charge because of all the setup and paperwork and time and effort and energy. Um, so it can be hard. I wouldn't pay that sort of money. But if you get a good financial advisor, give you structural advice, Nick, it might be worth Very, very quickly, Max. I know we're running out of time. But I, I think generally speaking, the big ideas in investing in finance, they're not hard. It's kind of like, I, yeah. I think a good analogy here is with health and fitness. So you can go see a personal trainer. You can go on a really, you know, scientific mm -hmm. diet kind of thing. And, you know, yeah. it'll do you wonders. Or you can be the kind of person who just takes the time to do 10,000 steps a day, doesn't eat too much sugar and a bit of fruit and veg. You know, that's really yeah. good. And I think the same yeah, yeah. is true of finance. So you can be yes. right down the rabbit hole in terms of exactly how you're structured and the way you do your... But if you're the kind of person that A, spends less than what they earn, invest yes. that regularly <laughs> into a low-cost ETF, job bloody exactly. yep. done. You know, like totally. that is... Yes, totally. you're not going to be in the records of, of, of history as the next Warren Buffett, but you're, you're going to do incredibly well. And do you really need to pay someone three grand to say, hey, spend less than what you earn? Forgo these frivolous things that you don't maybe need that mm -hmm. second holiday to Fiji when you've got a $20,000 credit card debt. You know, it's not complicated. It's not complicated. Um, and and that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the genius of what this industry has done is try to convince everyone that your, <laughs> your, your precious need, little yep, brain yep, couldn't exactly. comprehend. Let, yes. us, let yes. us do it for you because you don't know what yep. you're doing and it's, it's insulting. Yep. And we frankly should teach this stuff in primary school because primary school kids could more than handle the, the big ideas, the big ideas ideas that matter. Rant, rant over. <laughs> Done. Come and join us next Friday. You'll come back next Friday, won't cool. you, Rant? Any chance for a rant, mate. Any chance. <laughs> exactly. There is a question actually on the uh, on my list I didn't get to. So the good news is we've got more questions. But if you do have questions to ask, please do uh, throw us a question on at TMF Scott P on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, or Scott Phillips Money on Facebook or info at fool.com.au. We have a question that asks for a rant from you, which I'm... Yes. 
partly looking forward to and partly dreading. Uh, but that, that won't be this week. That won't be this week. So do send us a question. If you want to follow Andrew, please do that on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. And you will get great stuff from him, great stuff from me. I feel like the two Ronnies now. It's good night from me and it's good night from him. <laughs> I love that show. Good night. Good night. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.